It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week I have Josh and Dallin and Elena with me, and I thank you all for coming. Thank you so much for your time. Can we start with, well, we talk about a lot of controversial subjects in this uh, forum, don't we? Um, Can I start with the impeachment process that's going on, the inquiry as they're calling it? Can I start with you? Would you forgive me, Josh? What is your um, what is your take so far on what you're seeing going on in the House? Do you think it's a fair process so far, or does it seem like some people are calling it a witch hunt? How do you see it? Absolutely. I myself am strongly in favor of the impeachment inquiry, um, and you know I, w- I would identify myself as conservative in my principles and my political beliefs. And the reason why is because I think this idea of President Trump potentially using his office to support his reelection campaign is very, very disturbing. Now, a lot of people are saying that he was just trying to get Ukraine to investigate corruption in general. Joe Biden is on Hunter Biden just being you know, part of that and, and potentially being a part of that broader effort to stop corruption in, in Ukraine, which is something that Joe Biden did when he was in office himself. He withheld $1 billion in military from Ukraine to investigate just corruption in general. But if he was indeed using this information um, or intending to use this information to support his reelection campaign, I find that very troubling. Mm, interesting. What do you think about this? My thoughts on it are that while I certainly think we should investigate into it, I think it certainly looks like, uh, you know, the Red Scare sort of thing, like, you know, a witch hunt, right? Like they're calling it. And I think the reason for that is just like the timing and maybe some lack of experience in a lot of people and like what actually happens in an impeachment process. Like I had to look into this. I was like, how does this supposed to go? When does the investigation come in? When do we start the impeachment process? How does all that happen? Just to understand, is this starting it too soon? Is this just typical? Um, so with that in mind, like, I think it looks that way, although I certainly think that, you know, we should be looking into this and I think both sides are losing credibility because it looks like, are, you know, a red scare on one side and on the other side, it looks like they're just, you know, brushing something aside that's a lot bigger than they're letting on that it is. What would make it look less, um, political to you and more, what would be more allegiant to the process? So to me, it's. I think what would make it look less political is about the timing and a lot of the statements that are being made. Like the discussion that's going back and forth seems to me that it that it is very political, um, you know, from both sides. And I think, you know, if if the Democratic Party was looking to make it look less political, I think they could consider the statements that they're making to the Republican Party, maybe the timing of the, the, inqui- the inquiry. Um, I think things like that could you know help change the feel of it all so that it looks a lot more credible and maybe i'm naive to even think that it could be an apolitical uh investigation what what do you think elaine um my thoughts on this are the president like everyone else shouldn't be above the law if the president does illegal things he should be punished like everyone else and he's in an office where his illegal things are uh far greater far more responsibility than the illegal things that regular citizens might do and you know Spider-Man with great responsibility with great power comes great responsibility. And so if he's abusing his office, if he's abusing the privileges that we as the American citizens have given him, then it's only right that we hold him accountable 
uh, sorry, it's only right that we hold him accountable, regardless if it's President Trump, regardless if it's President Obama or Bush or who's ever next. So the inquiry is a good idea for you, even though it seems that no matter what happens in the House, it will go nowhere in the Senate. Does that make it a waste of time? Not necessarily. It's still holding him accountable for what he's done, and that's important. Any other thoughts on this topic? Yes, please. Yeah, well, and I, I would agree with Elena there. I think the more information, the better. I mean, there's nothing to hide, right? So the more information we uncover, the better. And if it does turn out that he committed an impeachable offense and was misusing his power and broke the law, then I think the course of action is clear. Then an impeachment should be, the Senate should find him guilty and he should be out as president. And if it turns out that this was just normal day-to-day activities of the president, even though it doesn't look like that, but it was, then, you know, the impeachment doesn't go forward. It's, I think it's simple as that. And I don't think we should have anything to fear from the inquiry. The truth should be something that should encourage us um, and get us closer to what we should be doing, not not taking us further away. We have nothing to hide. On a, on a related topic, we heard the president say in a sem- – oh, I'm sorry, Dylan, please. No, you're totally <laughs> fine if you want to – no, go right ahead. You had another question. Yeah, comment. just my thought on it is like even even if it's not about this term as president, I think the impeachment inquiry, whether or not it goes down in the Senate, is important for the next term of president. You know, with the election coming up, I think this could, you know, very well impact his electability to a lot of people on the right. And so whether or not the Senate decides to remove him from office for this term, it's important for people's decision in the upcoming terms. Mm-hmm. For history, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a related question. I'll start with you on this one, Dallin. We heard the president say in front of the microphones, calling on Ukraine and China to investigate the Bidens. Now, since that time, some of the president's colleagues, Republican colleagues, have suggested he was kidding when he included China, saying things like, of course, he didn't mean what he said. No one would have, although he's not retracted it. And so I think you... Perhaps you should take people at their word. I'm not sure. What, what did you when you heard the president call on Ukraine and include China, one one of our, you know, arguably of our foes, or at least not an ally? What did you make of that? Well, I I don't think it's any laughing matter. I don't think this is something to kid about. And you know, if he was kidding about it, then that's 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 inappropriate. You know, this is foreign affairs. This is two enormous countries with a lot of. There's a lot on the line here. If, you know, there was a mistake to be made, like there would be huge impacts to people all over. So I think, you know, hopefully he wasn't kidding. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm, I'm not sure, sure. I think it was a good idea to be calling on them for investigation um, into this. It, it, again, it kind of seems like he's using his political power to dig up dirt on political opponents, you know, in mind of the upcoming election. And it, it just seems dirty, right? So I'm, I'm not sure I like that. Now, Again, you know, it comes down to intent. Like, what's really going on here? Is there, you know, is there a better reason for it? You know, I I don't foresee one. Maybe there is one, but I'm not seeing it. And so I'd say, you know, let's let's not do that. It it would be nice if you were kidding because then you wouldn't actually mean something like this. But don't be kidding about things like mm-hmm. this. This is serious business. Elena. Um. Okay. So. One of my best friends is writing a speech about the dangers of sarcasm and how sarcasm is used to kind of like play stuff off as a joke if there's negative consequences. And to say like, oh, I want China to investigate the Bidens and then retract it as a joke, it's making him devoid of responsibility. And it's not taking, like Dallin said, it's not taking it seriously. 
Interesting. What do do you make of that, please? I think Donald Trump is a master of chaos and manipulation. And I think the further away he can take us from from order and from things as they normally are, the more power he has. I think he controls the people that are in favor of them. And I think he likes to think that he controls the people that disagree with him as well. And I think that his tweet about China and, and what he said about China investigating the Bidens as well was very much intended to provoke, to get a reaction. And I think that's what he's getting. I I think, if anything, that goes to show that he has this instinct, perhaps, for um, this manipulation. And I think we just need to, I I think doing so undermines, he he might get policy wins, but at at the cost of trust in public institutions and in the office of president, ultimately. Are you worried about the election? I mean, the last time when he asked Russia to look into Hillary Clinton's emails, he did it publicly. And what followed almost immediately was Russia interfering with the election. Are you worried about the sanctity of the upcoming election with his asking Ukraine and China to investigate? Or do you think that that this will not lead to any kind of nefarious interference with the election? Absolutely. I don't I don't see how it could not. I think if anything, he's just opening the door for foreign powers, foreign governments to feel like they can have a a say in U.S. politics that they shouldn't have, whether that's gathering information or somehow manipulating votes in general. I think it, this is just opening the door um, for that to happen. Mm. Either of you like to comment on that? Yeah, I think, you know, foreign powers certainly have a lot of opportunity to get involved in our elections. I I saw the statistic the other day in a TED talk about how Facebook made one change in the wording they used on a, you know, on like one of those generic like I voted posts. And between the 2012 and the 2016 presidential elections, their studies reported that it had changed 240,000 votes. And, you know, I I don't know where she got this statistic, but she said the 2016 election was decided by 100,000 votes. You know, that's one business, one small phrasing change. And that just shows how much of it. it, And and, okay, here's the other thing. We didn't know until Facebook told us. So how much of this is it that's just going under that we don't Mm -hmm. we don't really know about? And so that's where I'm really scared about the fact that it seems like this is opening that door and saying, you know, 2016 was opening that door. You know, as soon as one country gets involved, we have other countries getting involved. And I think we really, really strongly need to put our foot down and say, you know, this is an American thing. These are our elections and you can't be getting involved in them because that destroys, um, you know, the majority rule in America. Mm -hmm. It destroys the democracy. Mm hmm. Any other thoughts, um, Elena? Just kind of to reiterate what something that Josh said is that Josh, my apologies, something that Josh said is that a lot of people don't trust public institutions, and so if there's already kind of like an imbalance of trust with our government, how does allowing foreign powers to come in and meddle with our sacred political processes, what does that do to the American trust? If it's already teetering, how can we? improve those relationships if any country who thinks they can get big in their head can decide who becomes president not and destroy the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to when we were the shining city on the hill and that our democracy was the example to the world. And I do miss that time. Uh, oh, yes, please. And, and one last thing on this note, too, of trust. I think this is so interesting because we often un- underestimate how close that line is 
on, on public trust in civil society. I think Hong Kong actually is a great example of just how important public trust is. Because right now, Hong Kongers really have to ask themselves that question. Do they trust their police department? Do they trust Beijing? Do they trust Carrie Lam, their government? And for years and years, they've been able to say, yes, you know, we do. And, and now with these allegations of police brutality that have been uninvestigated, with, these, with the recent use of emergency powers to restrict the use of face masks, I think that trust has been eroded somewhat and the consequences are drastic with people protesting. And it's absolutely terrible. I think we are that close. All, all countries are that close. And I think we just need to be especially wary. In America, you know, we're not above that. We're that close too. And we really need to take the trust that we have in our public institutions and in our elected officials seriously. And we saw that interesting back and forth between the NBA and China. I was surprised by, well, I guess I shouldn't have been because it was business. Yeah, I, I, I mean, bravo that the NBA said that freedom of speech is what we're about, but they took a business hit as a result for it. And, you know, I mean... I don't know. I was I was interested in that. Uh, did, you, did you follow that at all, Josh? Yeah, I did read a couple articles about. It. I thought that was interesting as well. Just just how powerful money is, right? Yeah. As, a, as a motivation for for getting corporations and people to do things. Mm. I'll I'll change topics now with your permission. To uh, the movie Joker came out this past weekend, and um, the level of violence was such that there actually were some incidents across the country where police came in to the theaters because there had been um, threats called in. Um, Gratefully, no problems actually occurred. But the movie's being just lauded as as an excellent, you know, for for its acting and cinematography. But I want to talk about the level of violence. Do you have an opinion on on this at all? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, So to me personally, I don't like Joker and Batman movies because they glorify these things. I would love to see a Joker movie where instead of trying to make us sympathize with him and say, oh, no, like, this is cool, this is fun, they say this is serious and this is bad. Not to take it to a point to, like, demonize people with multiple illnesses because they still need help and we shouldn't restrict access to getting them help. But, I mean, like, look at guys, not just guys, people in general, who, like, glorify the Joker. And what does he stand for? The Joker stands for demonizing and hating women, hurting women. He stands for doing whatever he wants without any moral backlash. And so if we're constantly glorifying this in our society, then what can we expect to see? We can expect to see less moral consequences for our actions because no one cares. Mm-hmm. And and for the female part, for Harley Quinn, his his love interest, I mean, they say yeah. she is as violent as he exactly. and is glorified the same. Yeah. And she has her own movie coming out, doesn't she? I mean, it's, so yeah. it's more of the same. The glorification and the kids just, you know, these are their heroes. Yeah. They're anti-heroes, I suppose. What, what do you make of this, Josh? Well, I think the whole, the whole Joker thing is an excellent transition, actually, from that NBA issue with Hong Kong. Because I think Joker, I, I think the movie Joker takes incredible risks with how it glorifies violence. And I think, again, it's the almighty dollar that's kind of driving this. People taking these risks. It reminds me of... Uh, I think it was back in 2017 that 13 Reasons Why Netflix yes. series mm-hmm. that increased suicide in suicide rates in teenagers across the country. It was just terrible. And, you know, I, I don't care if the producers of the movie say that they're not intending it to portray the character in a bad or a good light. 
at the end of the day, I still think it glorifies violence. And I still think that has a real impact on real people. And I don't care how many, how much money they make off the movie. I think that that impact is, is, is tremendously more significant than the money that they'll make off the film. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say, Dylan? For me, when I see a problem like this, I, you know, I want to find like a hard policy, something I can get my hands on, put in place and kind of solve the problem. And the hard thing is, I think the solution to this isn't a hard policy because we can't go restricting free speech because, you know, the cost of that is is also immense. And so I, I guess my solution to it is like, you know, maybe be very selective about what you're putting into your mind. And, you know, the American people has become very desensitized to violence. I feel like there's a trend in movies as we go on becoming more and more violent even from, you know, the first Marvel movie to the latest one. It, it's just more and more present. And with that, I think one of the biggest problems is that people aren't thinking about it. You know, the, the, the message is being placed there and they're not taking the time to contend with it or to decide, yes, I agree with that. And so it's just there without any sort of discussion and they start to agree with that, right? So, you know, the Joker movie is placing these messages in people's minds and they're not taking the 10 minutes to say, all right, so here's this idea that's now becoming part of my political belief, my, my philosophy, do I agree with this? Do I want this part of my philosophy? Or is it time to take this out and say, this is input I got and I disagree with it? So here's my question for you. Is our talking about it just giving them advertising? Because I've, I wonder whether to even bring it up with you, Del. Because I, I do not want to contribute to their advertising. They had the largest opening weekend of any movie in the history of October. And I... But I also want to be, I want to contribute to the discussion because here's Hollywood and Hollywood criticizes gun manufacturers and the NRA for doing nothing to combat the problem of violence in this country. And then they put out movies like this and wash their hands completely of contributing anything to the societal problem of mass shootings and violence in our society. And I don't think you can have it both ways. So I want to talk about it, but I don't know how to talk about it without <laughs> contributing. I, I want to do exactly what you're suggest suggesting, which is I want to ask, do I want this in my psyche? Which is what I tell my children. Before you, you're not, well, they're not going into this movie, but when they become of age and can make this decision for themselves, I want them to make a better choice. Interrupt me, please. Yeah, my thought on it is I, I'm not going to see it, and I would recommend that others do the same. But if they if they make that conscious decision, they say, hey, I am going to go watch the new Joker movie. My recommendation is please take some time to think about the message and decide if, you know, decide what you think about it. You know, I I take the time to process most movies I see with, you know, my brother, my friend, whoever I went to go see it with. It's like at the, the drive back. We're like, OK, mm -hmm. so what do you think about this? I thought it was interesting that this happened. Uh, you know, what does that mean, right? And so just asking that question. Okay, What good. does it mean? At least if you go through that processing. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this? I mean, that's, that's please. But I, I think you, you, know, the, the, you pointed out the hypocrisy with like, you know, Hollywood attacking the NRA and, and vice versa. I think it's interesting, like, you know, this, this distinguishment of supply side versus demand side. In demand side, you know, possibly creating demand for this is attacking the supply side and then washing its hands. And I think that's, you know, at least something to consider, right? You know, you know we should probably think about this from both sides if we really want to solve the problem of gun control but you know that was just you know my thought yeah. on it um you know a, a side note that, that kind of came from the hypocrisy of this whole situation i appreciate that i want to i want to ask you another question um i just saw this article and i thought when i have these three young people i have to i have to ask them this question um would you give up your smartphone for a year for a hundred thousand dollars now i know that's a lot of money 
but a smartphone is access to the world. Um, and for many people, you don't get access to the internet if you don't have the smartphone. You don't have access to your friends. You don't have access to anything. You don't have access to knowledge without the smartphone. So would you give up access to the smartphone for $100,000, Josh? For $100,000? For a I, year. I, for a year. I I think I would give up my smartphone, and it, but it, it wouldn't be easy. It would be really hard, but I think I would. Would you give it up for $50,000? <sighs> yeah, I'd give it up for $50,000. For $10,000? 10000 I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty tough. So that might be the question mark. Yeah. Would you give it up for $100,000? I hate to be the one. I, I don't have a smartphone. So. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. I, I'm going to come back to you. Elena, would you give it up for $100,000? Um, well, I mean, that averages out to $273.3 a day. And I mean, if someone's hand, like handing me that every day, I'm great with that. Do you, um, would you give it up for $50,000? Yeah, probably. Because that's ten thousand. Kind of like with Josh. That's kind of like the. Is it worth? Because it, it is access it to is. knowledge. You don't have a smartphone, Dallin. I don't. How do you function without a smartphone? Well, I I have to make things work in a lot of different ways, and you know I I certainly see the the, the pros and cons to having a smartphone. Like I, there's a huge benefit like navigation. I think that's one of the biggest ones for me. Because I always have to, I have to go to Google Maps. I have to print out instructions, and then I have to, you know, act as navigator. And that's certainly a lot more demanding than Siri, you know, reading it off to me. Like now, turn here. Yeah. But it also teaches me an important life skill. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to know how to do that. And I'm appreciative that I, I at least have, you know, a little bit of. I'd be able to, you yeah. know, say phones went down one day. I could catch a ride on UTA and I would survive. Which is something all of us need to know how to do, by the way. I all of us true. need to know Definitely. how to ride the bus. Yeah. And it's totally possible. And <laughs> I think that's an important skill for every adult and child, for, the ma- for that matter. At a certain age, you need to know how to ride the bus. I think that's magnificent, actually. I think that we depend too much on our smartphones and they become too much of a distraction to focused learning. And, well, to focus activity of any kind. So, bravo. Yeah, please. And, and can I just say, like, I think smartphones are one of the most powerful tools around. Like, you know, obviously they have massive, massive benefits in what you can do. But all too often I see that tool turned into a toy or, you know, like we were talking about turning into a crutch where we don't develop those skills on our own or we don't use it for what it could be used. You, you know, th- th- there's that huge benefit. You could be researching. You could be learning all the time. Ask a teenager, you know, when was the last time you were reading the news on your phone as opposed to, like, playing a game? And there are certainly people who have the self-control to take advantage of it and use it well, and kudos to them. Can we all become more like that and use them more as a tool instead of letting it turn into a toy and a crutch? Mm-hmm. Bravo. Um, did, it, did any of you happen to see this this week where um, the man whose brother was killed in Dallas by the police officer... Um, so there's a police officer in Dallas who goes into the wrong apartment and kills a man. She believed she was in her own apartment. She believed she was interrupting a burglary. She kills a man there. That man was in his own apartment. At the sentencing, the brother of the man she kills testifies, forgives her, says if it was up to him, she would serve no time in prison and asks the judge if he can come down from the bench and hug her. It was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Did you happen to see that? 
Alina? Uh, yeah, so I, I read the story and watched little clips, but to me the power comes from forgiveness, letting go, and I mean, he can't get his brother back. She can't remove the sentence from her life. The judge has already made the decision, but there's no reason for them to hold on to it anymore. There's no reason for the brother to be hurt by something he can't change. And I think that's something we should apply to our lives. If it's out of our hands, give it back to God. Mm. Mm. What did you think, Dallin? I, I think it's powerful that he was able to forgive him or forgive her for that in such a public in such a public way. And I you know, I think that's impressive. And I, I hope all of us, you know, take that and become better at forgiving others in our lives. Um, and, and it's hard because we see this kind of like the scale weighing mercy and justice. What should the law do and what should we do is entirely different in this situation because I, 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 I don't think it, they should be serving no time. But I, I do think that forgiving them was, you know, a great thing. And I, I'm, I'm glad that they're able to make that personal decision and move on in their lives. That's cool. It was a teaching moment for me, Josh. What, what did you think? I think that situation is an example for us all. And if you're listening to this right now and there's somebody that you need to forgive, right, I think do it, right? If this guy can do it and his brother was murdered, right, um, you, you really don't have any excuses. Go make it happen. Go give him a hug, right? Um, and I think I think that example of strength you can draw upon too. You can be strong in that way and feel that peace in your life, too, just like he did. Bravo. I couldn't say it better than that. But none of us has any excuse if he's able. Um, I want to ask you about the Supreme, the first Monday of October is, a, is an important day in this country um, because the Supreme Court comes back in session. And we watch the court come back in this week. And, boy, they have a lot of important cases on the docket one of the ones that they're watching the biggest, and I'll start with you, Elena, because I know that you're you're one who follows the court closely. One of the ones that the, the country is following so closely is this one that has to do with um, LGBT rights, and um, uh, it also has to do with uh, gender identity, um, and whether or not a business can fire someone based on the way they identify, the gender they identify as, or whether they identify as LGBT. Can you be fired for that identity? Or does the the civil rights law of 1964, does that law protect you uh, from being fired? It's a fascinating case. It will be a, a case that affects every business in the country. How do you watch this case? Um, yeah, this is definitely something I've been following. Oh, sorry. This is something I've been following because, I mean, this doesn't affect, like, this doesn't just affect us on a national or international level, but this affects, like, my friends and my family and me. And especially someone as, I work at a religious institution. And so to know that there's a potential, there's a potential outcome that I could be fired for being myself, for something that's completely out of my control, just because my employer's have it because it makes them uncomfortable and you brought up an amazing point earlier about i mean go back go back to like the um, the civil rights movement people were uncomfortable with black employees is it okay to fire someone for being black is it okay to fire someone for being a woman at which point do we just, or, or even on religious discrimination at which point do we decide everyone's covered or no one's covered 
because if um, this is the case, Bostock versus Clayton County, if the court rules that it's okay to discriminate against your employees, if you're just doing their jobs and living their lives, then this won't stop at LGBT people. There's no way it will stop there. It will extend to people of color. It will extend to religious people um, who don't fit the societal norms. And the ultimate question, yeah, just ultimate question, who gets to be protected? Are we the land of the free or the land of the free? Some exclusions apply. Do you have a concern that Justice Kavanaugh now sitting in in the what they call the swing seat? Um, do you have a concern that with him on the bench that that might not be the way it's decided? I do think we have a very interesting Supreme Court lineup um, for conservatives, for liberals, and kind of like a he's technically a conservative, but more lean in both ways. So quite frankly, with um, Brett Kavanaugh and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I have no idea how <laughs> this is going to turn out. I do know that previous... Um, the one, the Supreme Court justice who Brett Kavanaugh replaced was very, um, he was the one who legalized same-sex marriage. Anthony Kennedy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with him gone, I have no idea how this is going to go. And quite frankly, it's terrifying. I'm sure to many people. Do you have a, an opinion about this, Dallin? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I don't know, I think certainly we can all agree that if there is something beyond your control, then you should not be discriminated for it, right? So it, it, with that case, um, I think that we should all be considering those laws very carefully, right? We, we don't want to get into a situation where, we're, where we are discriminating against anybody. You know, w- the truth of it is, is like discrimination isn't just like seeing color equal. It, it's just not see, like forget color, forget sexual gender orientation, all of that. We just don't want to consider that in the equation of do I hire this person? Do I fire this person? So with that in mind, I think it's just just one of those things. We just have to be careful. And I I trust the Supreme Court in this case to rule reasonably. I, I, I think the outcome is going to be one that we can all get behind, um, though I haven't seen it yet. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. What about you, Josh? I do think that hiring and firing should be blind um, to sexual orientation as well. And I'm excited to see the outcome of this Supreme Court case, I think. I, when I was doing research on the issue, I learned that Utah already has laws at the state level put in place to protect people from being fired because of their sexual orientation. And that was really encouraging. And I think I think we can and, and, and likely hopefully will see that at the national level as well. Isn't it something that, that uh, you know, Utah, as, you, as you mentioned, but that in 52 percent of, uh, of the places in America, 52 percent of people are not protected by such laws. So more than half of those in the country are not protected by laws uh, like you mentioned. More than half of the states have a situation today where if you're gay, you can be fired for being gay. I, I was, of all people, I should have known that. I did not know that until I did the research this week. Um, I don't want to go off the Supreme Court, though, until I let you comment on the other cases that you were looking at, Elena. Please do. Oh, um, I don't know. The Supreme Court lineup is very interesting. Um, we have a couple cases touching on gun rights, touching on abortion rights, and how far, like, the Sixth and Eighth Amendment cover state um, on a state level versus just federally. And I, I don't know how much you'd like me to talk Please, about Please, share whatever you'd like. I just think they're super interesting about, like, should juries have to be unanimous on a state level or just on a federal level? Should excessive fines, punishments, and laws apply to states? Because uh, uh, it's just kind of 
where do our rights stop and where do the federal ones mm-hmm. stop? I thought that was interesting, too. Should you have to have a unanimous jury convict you? Boy, if I was the defendant, I'd sure want a unanimous jury. Um, and I think some people would be surprised to learn that that's not required on a state level. That's only required on a federal level. Um, and there, there's another interesting case that involves a, um, the death penalty where one state is trying to do away with the defense of insanity altogether. Is it a violation of the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment? for a state to do away with the defense of insanity in total? Or should, you, should, a, should a state have to allow that defense in some form? Or it's a violation of the Eighth Amendment. So the, the court has all kinds of interesting things. I hope, have the three of you ever had a chance to, to watch a, a case in the Supreme Court? Have you yeah, had a chance? A Ooh, tell me, Dallin. Uh, I think the first one I watched was the VidAngel case. Oh. Um, I followed that one because I, I used VidAngel. I liked it. Yeah. Um, and so I thought watching that court proceeding was really interesting. Um, I, I think the biggest t- takeaway that I had from it was how different the arguments look outside of court and inside of court. It, it, you know, you, not, not only just the way they phrase it, but, you know, some of the things they're actually saying on both sides start to sound very different when we actually – apply the idea to the law and they're like, well, we can't actually say that in court or and vice versa. So, you know, I thought that was interesting about yeah. it. Um, and also just seeing, you know, the, you know, this is justice going on, right? This yeah. is how our country works. And I thought that was really cool. It's fascinating uh, to see that, that educational experience up close. Um, with your permission, I'll move on to uh, a final topic that we have that involves Facebook. We brought up Facebook uh, earlier. I, uh, Facebook is being encouraged by the U.S. Attorney General to not encrypt their messages um, on Facebook and Instagram. I guess they do it already on WhatsApp. Um, but the Attorney General is saying to them, and his argument you can understand, please don't encrypt your messages on Facebook and Instagram because in the event that I'm investigating or anybody in law enforcement is investigating terrorism, human trafficking, whatever, I need a way to get in to these messages. And if you encrypt them, it's dang near impossible. Mark Zuckerberg is saying the only way for democracies to be born and thrive in totalitarian countries is for their messages to be totally un you know, to be totally private. Or countries like China and other totalitarian groups will access those messages, and that will be the end of these blooming democratic movements. A legitimate argument. So where do you come down, Josh? I would have to echo the sentiment of Zuckerberg. I think, indeed, that we do need our communications to be encrypted. We see this, again, in Hong Kong. I like to talk about Hong Kong. Um, But a lot of the protesters there are using encrypted messaging platforms to share information about where the protests are going to happen, how they're going to happen. And the reason they're doing that is because they're terrified of their government finding them and prosecuting them and shutting down their movement. I think in the United States of America, we often like to, like to think we're about that, but I think we do need that communication to be safe, to be able to protect our freedoms, because ultimately the government is we the people. If there was ever a time, you know, God forbid, that the government wanted to infringe on our freedoms for whatever reason were to become tyrannical, I do think that we need platforms like that in order to in, in order to fight back to protect ourselves and our rights. What about when the bad guys use those platforms? 
I think that is <laughs> that's a very real concern, and and I respect that. But I think that again is the it's kind of the price we have to pay for freedom. Uh, freedom isn't easy. And when we have freedom, everyone else has it too. And however deserving or undeserving it they may be, however they may use it. But I think that that's the price we have to pay. And I, I think it's a price that we would agree is worth it. Dallin. So the hard thing for me is, you know, I guess I'm not a programmer. I'm not a hacker. Uh, you know, none of the above. So I don't understand if this is possible. But I, I want there to be a way for, you know, with the warrant, them to go to Facebook and have a way to get to that that other people aren't going to be able to use, right? And, you know, if that's not possible, then I, I think I have to... Um, if you know, somebody can, can get in, anybody can get in, is what I've heard. If there's a way in, everybody will be able to get in. That's At least that's the discussion I've heard. And, and you know, and I agree with that, you know, and that's probably where things are currently. So I guess I'll address what, you know, the current, solu- you know, my current thoughts on it. And then, you know, as things are going forward, there's, there's tons of innovation on this right now with the advent of quantum computing, with, you know, just the fact that, you know, hackers are getting better and better, you know, with the blockchain principle, with like Bitcoins. I think, I think it's possible in the near future that we could get, a, get around that and, you know, make it possible for there to be a warrant only process through it. Um, at least for the most part, but you know, if it, you know, if that doesn't happen, I, I would say that, you know, kind of the Blackstone principle, I, you know, we it's just like, you know, th- th- this English philosopher said, it's better than 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man go to prison. And I think that's a huge part of our criminal justice system. And I think it ought to remain that way. So maybe we have to, it's, it's harder to prosecute some, you know, some terrorists and, you know, that's, that's certainly a big deal and that's unfortunate. But it's important to preserve democracy as a whole and to have that back door, you know, in the case that we really did need to keep messages secret from our government. And not just prosecute, but save lives, because they'll tell you that people's lives are at stake if they can't get to these messages. But that may be the price. What do you say, Elena? Well, um, as someone who tends to lean more, uh, sorry, someone who tends to lean more Republican, I definitely see the value of individual rights. We have to give up some societal rights in order to protect us, which will then protect the society. And yeah, just kind of like what the boys have been saying, it's if one person can get in, if one government official can get in, who's going to stop someone else? Because the government has a habit of like looking for hackers who can get into their system and then hiring them. But what about the ones they don't hire? It's just, to me, there are way too many like risks that the payoffs aren't worth it. It's not worth putting um, the entire American population in a space where there's no safety and no trust so that we can stop a couple of terrorists. I mean, stopping terrorists is a good thing, of course, but is it worth 300 million people? Well thought out. I appreciate all that. Any more? Yes. This just makes me think of the movie Bridge of Spies, where they had like essentially evidence where they could put a Russian spy in the middle of the Cold War you know, away forever. They had all the evidence they needed, but it was obtained unconstitutionally. And, you know, the, you know, the main character in the movie stands up, you know, heroically and says, we can't use this evidence if we wish to preserve democracy. And the public hated him for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, as much as I'm removed from the situation, I hope I would stand with him and say, you know, freedom isn't free. It's pretty darn expensive, but it's worth the price that, you know, democracy is worth it. Well argued. Thank you, all three of you brilliant arguments today. Please come back and see me again.